Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, praise be to God. Thank you all for joining me inside my home for Gospel Saving Church. And thank you, everyone coming from all over the world online, SoundCloud. God bless you and welcome. Uh, praise be to God. Thank you for joining me this beautiful morning. I uh, just want to tell you how thankful I am just to you know be able to teach God's Word. And, and not only teach God's Word, but be a voice of truth and and in a world where the, the Bible's been such a corrupted book as far as the way people teach it, you know, and uh, God's always pure and His Word's perfect, but evil men twist the Bible. And I'm just so thankful that I get to teach God's truths every week to you. So anyway, praise praise the Lord. Let's, uh, if you guys want to join me in a word of prayer, we'll open up and ask the Lord to help us understand His Word today. And Because I know that I don't really teach you. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit and God, they teach us. And so they just kind of use my mouth to teach us. So I want to get out of the way and I got to ask the Lord to help me do that and help us understand what he has to tell us today. So if you join me in a word of prayer, please, I appreciate it. Lord, we thank you so much for this day and we thank you so much for bringing us here today, Lord. We thank you so much for your grace and your mercy that you pour out upon all mankind, Lord, all the time. Lord, as as I was just praying, even I think during communion this morning or before communion about how each and every breath Lord God is a gift from you. For you made the plants that produce the oxygen on an everyday basis, Lord. And those that those plants produce that oxygen every single day, and that gives us our breath, our air, our O2, our, our oxygen that we breathe every single day. And Lord, so that means that every single breath that we breathe is a gift from you today. And so, Lord, we're so thankful. Lord God, that we get our very breath from you, Lord, that everything that's good comes from you, Lord, for we know you do not give anything that's evil. So, Lord, we just praise you and thank you, Lord. We ask you to help us understand your word today. Help us understand what you have to teach us today, Lord God. Help us to understand the the importance of what we're going to study today, Lord God, as we're going to study something very important in your word today, something supernaturally, monumentally, and eternally important today. Help us to understand it, Lord. Help us not just to, to hear it with our ears and, and, and think about it, but Lord, help us to do, Lord, what you teach us today. For we can't just be hearers of the word only, Lord. We have to be doers as well, too. So, Lord, we praise you and we thank you and we love you. And we ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So we're going to be today in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 through 12. I know we studied 6 and 7 last week, but I'll get to that you know, after my overview from my thoughts from last week. But we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 through 12. If you guys want to be turning there while I'm going through my thoughts from last week's message, God is Enough, Part 2. So, for two weeks in a row, the Lord has led me to talk to you about how God is enough for you. Remember, God is sufficient And last week I showed you that because of Paul's attitude of life, surrendered to, God and his provision are enough, because that's what he believed, that's what I believe, Paul was able to be filled with joy, thankfulness, and encouragement, even in, as I talked about last week, in the most terrible, like hell on earth type of situations that he was in. With the whole imprisonment and abandonment and all the suffering that he'd gone through and the torture and the mental pressures and, and, and things like this. He was in literal, uh, literal hell on earth, yet he had 
joy and, and he was encouraging and, and he had peace and he had love and he was thankful even in the midst of his terrible situation. But was Paul able to keep this thankful, joyful, and encouraging attitude because God was sufficient for him 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year? So that means that he was he I mean was he never ever down and out? Was he never ever depressed? Did he never ever kind of go under? Did he ever kind of get upset or anything like that? Well, 2 Corinthians 1.8 gives us a little insight into that where we read of Paul's attitude during a time in his life when he was still free and he was planting churches and he was spreading the gospel. So 2 Corinthians 1.8 says that, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, he's writing, remember now, to the church of Corinth, we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble, which came to us in Asia. So he's, he's talking about how they went to Asia to preach the gospel, and they ran into all kinds of problems, all kinds of problems. And you can read about that, you know, in uh, in the book of Acts. He talks, you know, you read about what he went through actually in Asia to do, you know, to bring the gospel there. And he says, he goes on to say that we were burdened beyond measure above strength so that we despaired even of life. Did you hear that? They were at such a point, things were so bad They were attacking them and doing all kinds of evil to them so badly, they despaired of life. So that means that, no, Paul was not able to, 100% of the time of his life, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, every single moment of his life, keep a positive, encouraging, thankful, and joyful attitude. And I can't say that for him, that I saw that from him. And I can't say it for myself. And I don't know any Christian that I can say that of either. And fortunately, sometimes even the strongest people of faith, like Paul, myself, and even others that you read about in the Bible, and other godly men and women that live on the earth now, don't have perfect joy. They stop being thankful. And they get discouraged. We get discouraged. It happens because it happens because you know what? All human beings are imperfect. We're all sinful. We all forget the goodness of God. We all forget the promises of God. We all forget the things of God that we should that should make us happy and joyful and thankful. We all forget sometimes. But no, no follower of Christ can stay completely joyful, thankful, and encouraged 100% of the time because we're human, like Paul wasn't able to. But it is important that if we are down in the dumps... If we do, or when we do, I should say, because it happens, right? We're not, we're not perfect. We're sinners. We're flawed. That if or when we get down, if or when we get into the dumps, we get, we get down really low and we get depressed, that we do not stay there for too long. Because as I spoke about last week, it could be dangerous for us. It could be dangerous for be, to be depressed and down and, and to forget God's promises or that none of God's promises make us happy because that could be dangerous to our spiritual life in God. The longer we stay down and we don't get back up, the longer that we can be f- moving farther and farther and farther away from God because if we refuse to find our joy and happiness in Him after a, a certain amount of time, 
then it's real easy just to kind of slip into oblivion and then just blame everything on God. Because after all, you know, God could stop it. So, you know, since he could stop it, you know, he's got to be to blame. And so then you start to blame God. And then before you know it, you're hating God. And so it's important. I want to stress that if you're a real Christian, it's important that if or when you get down and discouraged or lose your joy and stop being thankful, that you don't stay down for too long and you get back up and you don't give up. For this is the righteous thing to do. The righteous thing is not to give up, but to get up and to keep going. Look at what Solomon says in Proverbs twenty four sixteen, and I'll end this little overview with this. Solomon says in 24, 16, he says, For a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. Did you hear what Solomon said there? He says, a righteous man, we're going to fall. Because, again, we're all sinners. None of us are perfect. So a righteous man is going to fall. We're going to sin. We're going to get depressed sometimes. We're going to get down. But a righteous man gets back up, Christians. A righteous man, a saved person, to continue going, gets back up. They don't stay down forever, but they get back up. But the wicked, you see, they just fall and they just stay down. And then they turn from God if they were godly, and that's the end. So I can't stress the importance. If you're down, don't stay down. God's good. God's loving. Everything good is from God. Everything evil that we have to face, that's just the sinful world that we're in and Satan hates us and we just can't forget the the origins of where everything good comes from. God loves us all and wants us all to be joyful and happy and content and thankful as much as we possibly can. Anyway, praise God. Just don't want to distress that to you. So let's get on to our new sermon for today. Let's switch gears. Title of our new message is Let the Redeemed of the Lord Say So. 2 Timothy 1, 6-12, again, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So now, I told you I'd get into why we're redoing a couple verses, because, you know, we already did 1-7, through seven, right? But today we're going to redo 6 and 7, plus 8-12 through 12 and all that, and I'll talk about it now. So although I spoke to you last week on the aspect of the verses 1-7 through seven of Paul's joyful and thankful and encouraging attitude because God was enough for him in the midst of the type of hell on earth that he was in. Contextually, the whole reason that Paul wrote that section of scripture was to encourage Timothy in his faith and to help stir up the spiritual gift of God that was within him. Look at verse 6. Paul says, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. That was the contextual, that was the whole main reason that Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, to kind of encourage him. There's so many angles of scripture that you could teach it from, though. It's just that, you know, which one do you pick and which one does God want you to, you know, lead you to lead you to choose to, to, to teach on. And so that's what I'm saying. It's just that was the one aspect that I got on from last week was just Paul's situation and how he was all thankful and joyful. But yet that wasn't Paul's intent of writing that whole verses 1 through 7. He wrote it mainly to encourage Timothy. It would have been like the encouragement of Timothy. So join me in reading all of 6 through 12, and then I'll kind of go back as I just want to get the reading down, and then I'm going to go back through 6 and 7, and we're going to go through the proper context of these 
uh, two verses before we get through 8 through 12 because 6 and 7 kind of set up 8 through 12. So if you want to join me, I'm going to read or you can read along or just listen. We're going to read 6 through 12 and then I'm going to go back through and teach. Paul writes to Timothy here and he says, Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying out of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before time began but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death, brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed him until that day. So there's so many angles that this scripture could be taught from again, uh, but I'm just going to kind of uh, go through this is this, we're back on track. We're back on what was Paul's intent. Paul's intent was to encourage Timothy. Now, you know, let the redeemed that the Lord say so. What is God saying to us here through Paul's mouth? Um, verses six and seven, contextually, Paul says in verse six, Timothy, I encourage you to operate in the spiritual gifts that God has given you and not to give up. Verse 6, therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on my hands. Hey, Timothy, don't give up. Hey, you know, get them get them spiritual juices flowing. Get, get ready. Gird up the loins of your minds. Get, you know, serve God. Serve God. Serve God the way in which God has called you to serve him with the spiritual gifts that you've given him. Come on, Timothy. Come on, come on, come on. Because I can imagine from Timothy's perspective, you see, Paul at one point was free. And Paul in 1 Timothy wrote the letter as a free man. Of course, we're now remember 2 Timothy, he's now in prison. Okay, so Timothy might have been discouraged. You know, hey, my mentor is in prison. I got to go see my mentor. My my spiritual kind of like, hey, he founded me in the faith kind of thing. He laid my foundation. You know, he's like a father to me now. You know, kind of like, you know, more than just a brother in Christ. He was the one that kind of helped me get saved, probably. You know, and now Timothy has to go see Paul. So Paul's trying to encourage Timothy. Hey, Timothy, don't give up. Hey, look at where I am. I'm encouraged. I'm thankful. But hey, don't give up. Verse 7, he tells him, he says, hey, verse 6, I want to stir up these good things inside of you, this, this spiritual gifts, because, verse 7, for it says, for God, so that's kind of like an interlude, one kind of parallels off the other. Verse 7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Hey, Timothy, fear is not of God. Don't be afraid to serve God, and don't serve God in fear. For fear, simply, Timothy, is not from God. Paul tells Timothy here, and really all Christians, because, you know, this again, this section of Scripture, all the Bible is not just written for Timothy back then, it's all written for our tutelage now, right? Every Christian is supposed to read the Bible as a way to follow God. That's kind of what we do. Um, Paul tells Timothy here and all Christians, because unsaved don't get a spirit from God, he says, hey, Timothy, 
And Christians, fear is not from God, so don't serve God in fear. Let me explain this a little bit. What is fear? You see, whenever you feel afraid or get fearful thoughts or are afraid of certain situations, or maybe you're scared to share the gospel because of whatever reason, they're going to laugh at me or they're not going to accept me or whatever, this fear feeling or this fear essence that comes upon you, that you may like, you know, those thoughts that come into your mind or those kind of dreary feelings, oh no, what's going to happen? Fear here, Paul says, is not from God. So whenever the spirit comes upon you, this spirit is not from God. Fear says, and we all know this, fear says, I can't do it. Fear says, I'm so scared. And, and fear, fear says, in fact, I'm so scared. And in fact, I'm so afraid to fail. I'm not even going to try. I, fear says, give up. Fear says, the fight's not worth it. I'm, I'm useless. I can't do nothing. It's all fear. It's all bad. It's all negative. This is this fear feeling here that Paul says, hey, Timothy, the spirit of fear is not from God. So if fear is not from God, ladies and gentlemen, and children of all ages, if fear is not from God, where does it originate? Well, fear originates in our mind because we're fleshly. And sometimes we look at things not in a spiritual way, but in a fleshly way. We, if we look at a situation and we know we are incapable to, of doing it, what happens to our minds? We think, well, I can't do that because that's beyond me. That's fear. Or, or that's greater than me. I can't accomplish that. That's, that's fear. Okay? I can't do that. That's not me Okay, because I'm just not able. Well, that's fear. That's discouragement. Okay, that's fear. And, and fear just comes from our minds or fear comes from the devil or fear comes from the fallen angels. For all evil beings, want they hate you. See, devil and fallen angels, they hate you. They want to make you afraid. They don't want to live you... They don't want to see you live a, success, a successful life in Christ. They want to see you live a, a down and depressed and fearful and, and, and kind of failed life in Christ. So since the spirit of fear doesn't come from God or Christ, what kind of spirits come from them? Well, Paul says it right there. For God has not given you the spirit of fear, but he's given you the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, you see, all those are positive. These would be positive attitudes, all terrific, encouraging essences or encouraging feelings that come over you. I can do this. Uh, first word here, power, comes from the Greek word dynamis. Probably where we got our English word dynamite, where that came from. Well, think about dynamite. Here, Paul says that to Timothy and to us, God's not giving you fear. He's giving you power. The spirit of power, the spirit of dynamite power. What is, think about that, explosive. Well, the actual definition of the word is defined as strength, power, and ability. This, this, is, this is one of the essences of the spirit that God has given those that are his. Again, God doesn't give a spirit to the unsaved. Paul's talking to Timothy and all Christians here. God's not giving you a spirit of fear, a spirit of failure, Christians. God's giving you a spirit of power. Hey, strength, I can do this. It, it says, I, I don't have to quit. I can keep going. It's a spirit of never give up. It's a spirit of keep trying, keep working it out, keep going. 
Don't fail. Hey, that's not, that's not, that's a spirit of fear. Hey, I can't do it. Hey, that's not from God. That's what we automatically should be saying to ourselves every time we start thinking those thoughts. Oh, I can't do that. Or, oh, I'm such a failure. Oh, that's spirit of fear. Oh, you know what? Rebuke that in the name of Jesus Christ because that's not from God. Hey, I can do this. I can do this. That's the first one, power. Then he says, I've also, God's also given you a spirit of love. Well, what is love? Well, anytime we feel hatred for, say, say somebody else, or we feel hatred for something, a situation, well, since Paul says to Timothy here, God's not giving you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love, who do you think that that spirit's from? Well, that spirit of hatred is not from God. It's from no good place. From your own evil mind or Satan's uh, dealings or the fallen angel's dealings, but God wants us to love. God says, love me. Love me with your words. Love me with your actions. And then God says, love others as yourself. It's the greatest commission. It's It's the greatest commandment there is. There's no greater commandment than love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, right? So the spirit of love, power, love, and a sound mind he closes off here with. God's given you a spirit of a sound mind. A sound mind is self-control. Sound mind is not craziness and, oh, what am I going to do? All like, like uncertainty or, or sound mind. Or, uh, how, what else would I say? What else is not a sound mind? Sound mind is when you kind of feel crazy. Since a sound mind means self-control, anything where you feel out of control, that's not from God. For God's given you a spirit of power, love, and sound mind or self-control. Paul tells Timothy here, and all of us Christians, he says, Christians, Timothy, don't operate or live for God in the spirit of fear or of your mind or of Satan. That comes from a no good place because then you're going to live in defeat. Spirit of fear causes you to live a Christian life defeated, in defeat. I can't do that. I can't talk to that person. I can't serve God. I'm just not good enough. He says, don't serve God in a spirit of fear, but exercise or operate in living for God in the spirit, in the spiritual gifts that God's given you because he's given you his awesome power, dynamis, dynamite power, love and sound mind to do so. And that's no defeat. That's success. That's power. I can do this. I can do this. It's probably why Paul wrote Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, if God gives us a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind, that's through him, right? We can't, we don't just have that power on our own. We have it through him. Again, for all Christians here and for Timothy as well, because the Bible's not written just to Timothy or any specific, any specific person for overall, it's written to all those that would follow God. So now that we have our context down for this next section of scripture, I want to read verse 8. Just a portion of it, because now that matters. You see, what Paul just said matters for our new section. He says, therefore. Well, the word therefore means because of in verse 8. So, Timothy, because of what I just wrote to you, serving God, not in fear, but in power, love, and a sound mind, therefore, verse 8, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. So you see, therefore, bridges those two together. So Timothy and all Christians, because you should, op- you should be operating in or living in the spirit of God's power, love, and a sound mind and not being defeated by fear, don't be ashamed of Jesus Christ 
and what he's done for you, or me, the one who's in prison for him. You see, Christians, when you're ashamed of Jesus Christ or someone or something that they did, right? Think of that. Feeling ashamed. He says, be not ashamed of Jesus Christ or his testimony. If you're ashamed of somebody or someone or something they did, anybody, you don't talk about them. You live in fear about that situation. Or you don't even mention them or you don't mention what they did. You don't, or you don't mention what they did because you're ashamed of them. If you don't talk about somebody, shame means that you like shun. You get away from. You don't talk about. You, you act like it's not there. You act like that one doesn't exist because you're ashamed of them. And Paul says here, hey, ashamed, fear, they kind of go together, I would say. I would say absolutely ashamed and fear, they kind of go together. He says, therefore, hey, Timothy, God's not giving you a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. And you need to serve God, not in fear, but in power, love, and a sound mind. And therefore, because you're supposed to serve God like this, don't be ashamed of Christ nor of me as prisoner. Don't be ashamed. What's the opposite of ashamed? Think about it. What is the opposite of ashamed? Well, of course, it's unashamed. So if somebody's unashamed of Christ or someone or something that anybody did, if you're unashamed of your dad or your wife or your mom or your kid, what are you going to do? Then you're going to talk about them. You're going to talk about them often. You're going to talk about them in normal conversation. You're going to bring them up wherever you go because you're unashamed and you're going to be open about it if you're unashamed of a good job you have then you're not going to hide it from people you're not going to like never talk about it if you're unashamed if you're unashamed of a nice car that you have you're going to drive it around you're going to shine it up and you're going to drive it around and you're going to look out the window and wave at people or you're going to and you're going to want to be seen in it you're going to go to your job hey did you see that nice car that i have because then you're unashamed of something that you have here, Paul says, don't be ashamed of what Jesus did for you and Christ and me. That means be unashamed. That means openly talk about, don't hide what you believe. Don't hide who you are in Christ. Don't hide who Christ is to you and what Christ did. When you look at all of what Paul says here to Timothy, and all of us Christians here in these verses, it sounds like this. Hey, Timothy, Christians, don't be afraid or live in fear, or serve God in fear, but serve Him in power, love, and a sound mind. And because of this, openly and boldly talk to others about Jesus Christ and tell others what Jesus Christ has done for you. And, of course, about me, the one that's in prison for Him. And you could say for us now, what would that mean? Well, of course, Paul wrote a third of the New Testament, or a little over a third of the New Testament, Paul's teachings are kind of important to understanding what Jesus Christ said something or, or Paul confirms what he says. And, you know, so even Paul's teachings help even clarify some of what Jesus Christ taught, right? So for us today, if we're living an unashamed life of Christ and Paul, we're going to talk about the things that Paul wrote about. We're going to talk about the things that Jesus did. We're going to talk about who Jesus Christ is in our lives if we're unashamed. Is Paul teaching us anything new here? Well, no. 
Jesus taught his disciples then, and of course his words are the teachings that all Christians should follow. Remember John 8, 38, if, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. So all Christians are supposed to follow the teachings of Christ then. Now it doesn't matter if you're a follower, if you're a disciple, you're supposed to follow his words. That's kind of how it works. Jesus says on the topic of Paul, you know, where Paul talks about being unashamed of Christ and unashamed of the gospel, and Jesus writes this in Matthew 5, 13 through 16. Uh, He says this, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how should it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. We know that salt seasons things, and without salt, food is kind of tasteless. Now, not necessarily our American food now, because it has so much food in it, but if you just take raw food... And let's say you were a hunter and you hunted food or you ate some raw corn and you just cooked up some raw corn from your field because you grew it, it would be very, very, very tasteless. And so we know that salt is a, it brings flavor, brings, you know, lots of abundance to food. And if you take the salt away, food is very bland. Well, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth to Christians, to his followers, meaning we're supposed to be bringing some flavor to this earth. We're supposed to be bringing some, some, you know, taste to this tasteless earth because it's tasteless spiritually. It's death spiritually. The earth, we were, if you're a Christian and you were born in sin and then you were dead and then God made you alive. And so at that point you were tasteless and now you're like the salt, Jesus says, of the earth. Uh, verse 14, you are the light of the world, he goes on to say. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it underneath a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light, and of course we know that we have light not on ourselves, but we're like kind of like the moon. Talked about this with a lady at work this week. We're kind of like the moon, right? The moon in itself has no light. What does the moon do? The moon reflects the sun. And that's the only reason the moon shines at night. Well, we, if we're Christians, our whole goal in life is to reflect the light of not the S-U-N, but the S-O-N. We're supposed to reflect the light of the Son of God. So he says here, let your light, the light that's on you for Christ, so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So Jesus just said, Be unashamed of who you are in Christ, because if you're letting your light shine for Christ, because you're you're reflecting his light, you can't hide that. And he says, don't light a lamp and put it underneath a basket, but let it shine to the whole world. So he says, be unashamed of who you are in me and shine your light from me to everyone so God can be glorified. And don't hide it. Don't put a basket on it. And this is exactly what Paul says here. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the gospel or the testimony of Jesus Christ or or of Christ or of me. How serious now does Jesus Christ expect his kids to talk about him and shine his light to the world and not be ashamed of him or what he did or his words? Mark 8, 38, he says, For whoever... Now, this is a whoever. This is kind of like an all. You know, for God so loved the world. This is all the whole world. Jesus says, Mark 8, 38, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. And remember, 
The word ashamed means you just kind of don't talk about it. You just kind of push it off to the side. You kind of just don't talk about it. You don't have to necessarily be hateful to have, un- to have an ashamed attitude. You just kind of have to just leave it alone. Hey, that's, that's just bury that. Put that in the ground over there. Well, I don't have to, I don't have to say anything about that because I'm... You know, I, you know, people think, you know, and that's an ashamed attitude. Now, sounds to me like Jesus Christ was pretty serious. I don't know about you. Uh, you may be saying to yourself right now, but Pastor Ed, if I go around shining like a light for Jesus Christ to others and sharing his words and what he did for others and what he did for me, I might lose my friends. I might become unpopular. People might... You know, look at me and laugh at me. Pastor Ed, is that really what God wants from me? Is that really what God wants to happen to me? I mean, if I do that, I mean, you know, doesn't God say love? And, and uh, you know, does God really want all that to happen to me? Because that's probably what's going to happen. Because, you know, I don't know very many people that love Jesus. Well, let's read the rest of verse 8. And I'm going to let Paul answer you from prisoner. He He says, don't be ashamed of me or Jesus, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Share with me the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. So the answer is yes! God wants you to, if you are really saved, to share Jesus Christ and his testimony, which is the gospel, with others. And contextually here, you got to understand, this is not talking, Paul is not writing about Christians being ashamed of Jesus Christ toward other Christians. Right? It's easy to talk about Jesus Christ with other Christians, right? It's real easy. I mean, my gosh, I mean, I love, you know, Jesus and I love those that are his and those that are his and we get to talking about him. Man, that's easy. We go to church and talk about Jesus all day long. And that's easy. But who would we have to suffer to tell about, to tell the gospel to? Well, it's not going to be a Christian. It's going to be an unbeliever. So yes, God says if you're saved, he wants you to share Christ and his testimony, which is the gospel, with non-believers and not be ashamed even if it means that you face or go through suffering like Paul just said scorn reproach hatred prison torture death exile or whatever else could be said that's evil because guess what Paul here Paul here was suffering for the gospel remember he went to prison Because of his testimony of Jesus Christ. Where he was abandoned. Where he suffered torture. And where he sat there and where he died. He spent the rest of his life there and he died in prison for the gospel. For sharing Jesus Christ with others. And he just said here, share with me. Don't be ashamed, but share with me in the sufferings. So yes, God expects you to do that. And is he the only one that said that? Is this the only place we ever hear about? It may be hard to share the gospel, or you may have to go through tough times to share the gospel. Well, no. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 16, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Well, what happens to a sheep in the midst of wolves? Well, what do wolves do? Well, wolves eat sheep. 
They first attack them, they surround them, then they attack them, then they wound them, and then they eat them while they're alive. They eat them alive. They don't bother to kill them first and then eat them. No, they eat them while they're alive. And Jesus said to the disciples then, and it goes for us now, I send you out, Christians, as a sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as servants and harmless as doves. So yes, Christians that are listening to me and listen to what Paul wrote here and listen to what Christ said and he recorded here today. Don't be ashamed or scared of Jesus Christ and what he did for you before the evil and sinful generation that we live in. But proclaim him and what he did for mankind openly to others and serve God in power, love, and sound mind and stop being afraid to share the gospel. Stop being ashamed. Especially considering what Christ said of those that would, that would serve him in fear and that would not share him with others. Mark 8, 38, Of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Look at what Paul says, Christians. Look at, or should say, look at why Paul says Christians should be open and bold to share Christ or shine their lights for him and others and not be ashamed. Look to verse 9. He says the why here. He says, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which he had given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Yes, a saved and redeemed person should be open about Jesus Christ and what he did, the gospel, because guess what? God saved us. If we're really Christians, if we really have tasted the goodness of God, He saved us. And it wasn't because you or me or anybody on the face of the planet deserved it. It was because He saved us because He loved us. You see, it's the same thing. The psalmist, which is where I got the title of our sermon today, the psalmist says in 107.2, Psalm 107.2, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he, meaning God, has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Such true statements. You see, all people, and I mentioned it earlier, are all under the bondage of sin and the devil when they're born. And if or when people use their faith that everyone's born with to start to wonder about God, if he's real or if he's not real, and we start to respond to God's calling, which he calls everyone with, and we start to seek God. You know, hey, I wonder who God's real. We kind of start to look for him. I mean, mind you, it's nothing that you're doing. God's calling everybody. You're just the responder. The ones, many refuse to respond, but you're responding and so you respond to God's calling, and you start to kind of look for God and seek for God, and, well, where is God? Is there really a God? And you start to question, you start to wonder. And God then comes to them, you, me, personally, and He helps us to come to Him. He saves us from the power of sin, death, and hell, and Satan, and He brings us into fellowship with Him through Jesus Christ. And this is not something that a saved person should be hiding this is not something that you or me or any person that's been saved and redeemed should hide. But this is something that need that we need to be proclaiming to all people all the time. Paul even mentions this in verse 10. Look at what he says in verse 10. He kind of talks about it over quickly. He says, 
but has now revealed, but has now been talk about Christ and salvation, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Christ brought light and life to you and me and everybody in the planet instead of the death that we live in. And this, Christians, is the reason, it's a good enough reason for you and me and everybody on the planet that's saved to let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Hey, I love Jesus Christ. Hey, this is what he's done for me. This is a good enough reason. You were dead. You sought the Lord because he was calling you. You came to him. He saved you. He brought you to himself. He saved you. Now you're not in death anymore. You're not in the darkness anymore that the world is in. You're in light. And the light that you have, that God's given you, that God's shining off you, he doesn't want you to cover. He wants you to shine it bright to the whole world so that everybody can see. Paul goes on to say our last uh, verse 11, he says, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. Paul says that Jesus Christ and his gospel or, or his abolishment of death and the way he brought life and immortality to life through the gospel or what he's done for mankind by the redemption that he brought to people, bringing people from death to life, destroying the sting of death is such good and important news that God appointed him or specifically made him, Paul, a preacher of it. It was such important news that God just didn't say, okay, here's what I did and well, I guess, you know, if people find it, they find it. No, 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 not at all. God says here, Paul says here, Paul says by the inspiration of God, no, 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 it's such important news what Jesus Christ did that God just didn't let it, just let it go. But no, he specifically appointed me to go and tell non-Jewish people, people that the Jews thought were, that's it, they're done. God's forgotten about them. Jews are the only ones God cares about. No, no, no. God loves them too. Hey, Paul, go tell the non-Jews what Jesus Christ did for them. So that they can get saved too. See, when we share, our hope and our prayer is that others would come to the same light that we're in now. And get out of darkness like we were in. And come into the light like we're in now. And it sounds pretty important if God specifically made Paul, designed Paul now to go out and share this good news wasn't just something that he just had happened. No, this made headline news and Paul was going on, supposed to go on and proclaim it to all. And it was so important that, look at verse 12. He says, for this reason, for the reason of all the goodness, of all that Christ has done, for this reason, I suffer these things. For this reason, for the gospel's sake, Paul says, I'm suffering prison. I'm suffering torture. I'm suffering abandonment. I'm suffering a literal type of hell on earth. He says, nevertheless, I am not ashamed. He goes, even though I'm going through this type of hell on earth, Christians and Timothy, I will not be ashamed of Jesus Christ and his testimony or the gospel, even though I've suffered all these things in my earthly body. Even though Christians have left me, I've seen Christians walk away from the Lord. 
I'm suffering. They're torturing me. I'm never going to see the light of day again. I'll be in prison forever, shackled hands and feet to the floor. Even though I suffer all these things, I'm still not going to be ashamed of what Christ did for me. For I know whom I have believed. For I know that I put my faith and my trust in Christ, in his salvation, and for everything that he has given me. And I am persuaded, he goes on to say, the very last sentence here, that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. I believe Christ is able to keep or take care of all the things that I put in his hands through prayer until I die. As Paul was a prayer warrior, as we all should be prayer warriors too, for we're living in a sick and sinful world where the redeemed of the Lord need to say so and stop being ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we need to stop being ashamed of Jesus Christ in his name. So I have to ask the question to my beloved brothers and sisters in Christ today. You knew this was coming. You knew this was coming. It always comes at the end of every sermon. You knew it's coming. Here's my question to you. Some hard-hitting ones to close because we have to self-examine now. How often are you serving God in power, love, and sound mind and not in fear, being open and unashamed of your relationship with Jesus Christ with others? And before you think, well, you know, it kind of, you know, it happens, and then I'll hear a little bit more specific. How often in the last week, in the last month, How often in the last six months or year have you said anything to any non-believer about Jesus Christ or about his gospel or about anything about God or what Christ has done for you or in your life? When's the last time you said anything about these subjects? And now, please understand, by sharing your faith here with non-believers, I'm not talking about just walking up to somebody you've never met before or wherever on the street in the gas station and coming, saying, and coming on strong and saying, hey man, let's talk about Jesus today. No, that's not what I'm talking about. And I'm positive that's not what Paul or Jesus Christ were talking about here either. This is not the specific thing that Paul, I, or Christ are telling you to do. No, 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 and not absolutely no. Now, now, saying that, there's nothing wrong with that type of witness for Christ because I did evangelize evangelism like that for a good number of years and it does sure feel good when that sparing person does say sure let's talk and we have a great conversation about christ and salvation but i'm not talking about that kind of sharing your faith especially we're not talking about that specific type of evangelism we're talking about when i asked you how often in the last week month six months or year have you said anything to a non-believer about christ or his gospel or anything about god or christ has done in your life i'm talking about When was the last time in those periods of time in your life that I mentioned where you made sure your speech was seasoned with bringing up things about Christ? Possibly the gospel, if there's an open door. How about the things about God or the Bible that you learned that week at church or the things that you heard in the Bible that you read over that you heard? To family, you know, who don't know, you know, doesn't know Christ. Or in conversation with the lady that you, uh, you know, get talking about the apples with at the grocery store. 
Or how long has it been since you've handed out a gospel tract that at, at a, at the, to the checker or bagger that's already bagging your groceries and you're already talking to them about non-essential stuff? Oh, Bobby, hey, Bobby, what's going on? Hey, how's, how's the weather today? Oh, you liking the weather out there today? Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, hey, man, oh, that's great. Oh, hey, that's right. Have a great day. Bye. Well, how are you reflecting your light in Christ to that person? How are you shining your light of Jesus to that person? How about, hey, man, how you doing? Today? Hey, man, I'm doing great thanks to Jesus. Hey, there's a light. There's the light. Were you saying, hey man, let's talk about Jesus right now? Well, no, you didn't say that. But you let them know who you belong to. See, it's not our responsibility to convert people, but it is our responsibility, according to Christ, according to Paul, according to the Bible, to shine our lights for Christ. To be like the moon reflecting the S-O-N with a capital S. That is our responsibility. That is And you see, I want to challenge you with something. If you can say today that you haven't done anything like what I mentioned for Christ in the last week, month, six months, a year, nothing, nothing mentioning about Jesus, nothing mentioning about Christ, nothing mentioned about salvation, nothing mentioned about the Bible, just the weather, just the sports, just whatever, with somebody you know that's going to hell if they were to die right now, specifically, I have to tell you today that according to what Paul said in 2 Timothy 1.8, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, but you're failing the Lord. You're failing Jesus Christ. And you are acting, brother or sister, like you're ashamed of Jesus Christ. Remember what I said it meant to be ashamed of someone earlier. I said when you're ashamed of anyone or Christ or something they did, you don't talk about them. And you don't even mention them. These are actions that you do towards somebody you're ashamed about. Well, I got this old clunker of a car, and I parked that in the back, and when I walk around, I, don't, I just don't mention the kind of car I drive because it's a piece of crap. Well, when you're at the store, or you're talking to your mom, or you're talking to your dad, or your sister, or your friend, and you don't ever mention Jesus, you're acting like you're ashamed because you're just not bringing them up. You're not talking to them about anything God's done in your life. You're acting like you're ashamed. But when you're unashamed of Christ or something or something they did, and you talk about them and what they did openly, that's what you do, and you don't hide it. And I will add, now you go out of your way to talk about it with others. So if you are a Christian and you're living a life hiding your light and never ever seasoning your speech with talking openly about Christ, the gospel, if there's a door, or the things of God, or the things of the Bible, then you're being ashamed of Jesus Christ and his testimony. And I must warn you exactly what Jesus Christ already said, which I've mentioned already, Mark 8, 38. He says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, that's who we're going up against, people that we should not be ashamed of, people that are sinful, people that are evil, He says, of him, the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So if that is you that I described today, the question is this. What are you going to do about it now? I know you're hearing me out there, Christians, all over the world. I know you're hearing me. 
And I know what it is we have to give up. Whether you live in a Muslim nation or a Hindu nation and you've maybe seen Christians get attacked, I know. Jesus said, I send you out as a sheep in the midst of wolves. I know. You got a lot to lose. But so did Christ, Christians. He had a lot to lose too. He gave up a lot to save us. So what are you and I going to do about it? Do you really want to see Jesus on some day and have him say he's ashamed of you? When you see him, do you want to hear him say, man, my child, I'm so ashamed of the way you live for me. You never brought me up with anybody. And you didn't just make a point of doing it either. Man, I'm ashamed of you. Or do you want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant? Are you going to keep on being quiet about Christ and living like you're ashamed of him? Maybe because you're scared to be open about him to others because of what people will say. Well, that's serving God in fear. And Paul says, I didn't get, God didn't give you a spirit of fear. He gave you a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. Or are you going to repent from following this evil spirit from your flesh or Satan or whoever it's from? And are you going to start living and serving God in the spirit of power, love, and of a sound mind? Jesus did say, if any desire to follow after me, let them deny themselves. Are you going to start denying yourself, denying the fear and please the Lord by an unashamed, open life of proclaiming him to others, no matter what they say or what they don't say, or how they make fun of you, or, or if they kill you, or if they put you in prison, or, or if they torture you? Because Christ went through it for you. Why are you ashamed of him and you're not willing to go through it for him? Now, if you are living a life unashamed of Christ already, praise God. Keep up the good work. Your reward will be great in heaven. Please be faithful until the end. And God will give you the just reward of what you get. I mean, that's really what it amounts out to. You'll get a reward and you'll hear God say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Now, maybe today you say, I'm not even a Christian, Pastor Ed. I kind of just turned on your sermon and I'm not a Christian at all. I just been hearing what you say and, you know, I, I don't know, you know, about all this Christianity stuff and about this Jesus stuff. Well, what did Paul say here? Paul said, I said, you are in sin. You're lost. You're on your way to hell. And Christ came and gave his life on the cross to redeem you, to bring you from death unto life. Now, that's love. That's love. And I don't know, you know, what you think about him, but I'll tell you this. Nobody has loved you or will ever love you like Christ who gave his life for you so that not only could you have, so, so not because you could have all kinds of good stuff on earth, but it's that you could have eternal life when you die and not go to hell. God loves you so much. What will you do with that? What will you do with finding out Christ gave his life for you on the cross? Yes, he's going to ask you to do things if you come to him. 
Yeah, sure, he's going to, once you come and he hires you on because you start seeking him and then he saves you, he's going to ask you to do some things like tell others about him and what he did for you. And, and you know, he's going to ask you to, you know, go places and do this and pray this way. And that. But you know what? He loved you first. He saved you. When he asked you to do something for him, aren't you going to gladly say, well, you know, I mean, he did do all that for me. After all, I'm real thankful. And then you're going to do it. Will you turn to him today? Or will you keep rejecting him? What will you do with Christ's love today for you? Will you keep turning away? Will you keep shoving him behind your back? Will you keep saying, oh, well, tomorrow? Or will you repent today and fall on your knees and surrender to your life to him? What are you going to do? God wants you to save, God wants to save you. That's why he sent Christ into the world to save your soul. Will you turn to him now so he can? I pray you will. And I'm going to close in prayer right now. Thank you, dear God, for all that you've done. Thank you, Lord God. For Lord, you only want us to even serve you as Christians. You only want us even to go out there and tell others about Jesus Christ because you love them too. You love them just like you loved us when you saved us. And now you want us, you're appointing us as preachers, as teachers to the world, Lord, to those that are around us, to our family members, to those that we know that we meet on an everyday basis and you, you've appointed us now, Lord. Those that of us that are yours to shine and reflect the light of the capital S-O-N. I pray, dear God, for those out there listening to me, those that are yours, those that are redeemed, Lord, I pray that they would start saying soul. Because you've redeemed us and you've saved us. There's so much more that you do for us every day. But even right there that you've redeemed us and that you've saved us, that should be enough of why we should say so. I pray, dear God, for every true believer that's listened to this message, that despite what it is that they have to lose, they would start saying so. They would start being bold. They'd start telling others about what you've done in their lives and stop being ashamed of you. Even for myself, that sometimes when I do this, Lord, because I've been guilty of doing this too in the past, and I ask all these things and I pray all these things, God, help us all to not live lives ashamed of Jesus Christ or the gospel. And I ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Praise God, everyone. It's Pastor Ed here. and Thank you so much for listening to the message. It's my prayer that you were encouraged and challenged with what you heard today to be a doer of God's word and not a hearer only. Because your life will soon be passed and only what you've done for Jesus Christ will last. If you live in the Dallas, Texas area, we want to invite you to come to our little house church here in McKinney, Texas. Sunday mornings, our service is at 1015, and the directions can be found on our website. Also, if you have any prayer requests or questions, or maybe you believe God has called you to support this church financially, please go to gospelsavingchurch.com and click on the appropriate links. I would love to hear from you personally. God loves you very much. Please love Him back by the way you live your life. God bless you, and have a wonderful day.